Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Beautiful Legacy Podcast. I am your host, Abigail Gagnon, and today we have a special guest with us, Brooke Hoover, and we are going to be talking about her podcast and different things she's done with acting and a bunch of other stuff. So, Brooke, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. Hey, Abigail, thanks so much for having me. I am Brooke Hoover. I'm originally from South Louisiana. And I have been living in New York for over two decades. I am an actor. I also am back into stand-up comedy. I do improv and sketch comedy as well. And I have my podcast, Who's Dat Fat Girl, about my health journey of losing 100 pounds while dealing with polycystic ovarian syndrome. That's awesome. You do so much. That's super awesome. (laughs) Thanks. And... Um, what made you decide to pursue acting in the first place? I think it was honestly because I was a super shy child. I was initially and still am into visual art and acting was just kind of an unexpected release for, I was an extreme introvert, which people do not believe, but it is true. And it was a way in which I could make my mom and my family members laugh, especially in hard times. I was like, oh, this feels good to make other people feel better because laughing is when you're laughing, you can't think or do anything else, you know, or except for maybe sneeze or like, you know, snort, but you're focused just on that moment. So that's why I love acting, especially comedy. That is really great. Yeah, I definitely think that there are probably so many actors and comedians and different things that are probably way more introverted than people would assume just because of their career, which I think is very interesting. Yes. And what was the process of becoming an actress and getting into that field and getting on to different TV shows? Like, what was that process like? Boy, it... I tell you, I was, I started acting maybe when I was like five years old. And I'm telling you, my mom was definitely not a stage mom. She made all of my costumes. I have a whole one woman show about that. And my podcast is inspired by that. But she was just like, you do your thing. You have fun. So I was just in school plays. I got really like small parts. Um, And oftentimes the parts were like two lines and I made people laugh and I just like paid my dues. I did like a lot of grunt work. Um, I wasn't in community theater, nothing like that growing up, but I said, I'm going to college to do this. So I got my BFA in acting in Long Island and then I moved to Brooklyn and I started pounding the pavement, primarily doing uh, theater. And that led me to doing improv and sketch comedy, which um, were some of my first pay gigs, which was great. But in general, there's no money in theater. And like, what do I do? I started teaching children acting and I hooked up with a manager and agent there. I got very lucky and I got into TV, film and commercial that way. Again, I got very lucky, but I was also paying my dues, you know, from an early age. And I joined the union SAG-AFTRA in 2008, again, just because of like, you know, work begets work and getting more and more credits and all that. Mm -hmm. Would you say that you prefer doing like theater or being like in TV shows or movies or stand-up comedy? Oh gosh. So I, 
I always say I prefer whatever inspires me in that moment, you know? What I love to do most is my my solo shows. I have two, Wayward Souls and Fat Girl Costumes. And those are both a combination of storytelling, a little bit of TED Talk, and a little bit of stand-up. That's my favorite forms uh, are the solo shows. But I, I really do love theater. There's nothing quite like live theater. I love all the forms, you know, it's just so hard to choose. But yeah, there's nothing like live theater. Yeah, I was in a play a very, very long time ago. I think I was like seven, but that's the only one I did. I am not very introverted, but when it comes to stuff like that, I get very shy. Like if I'm telling a story to somebody and then there's a group of people that form around me like I am it's fine I don't care there could be a hundred people around me it doesn't bother me but if I were to get up and start talking and everyone's looking at me to start with that's when it is totally out of my comfort zone wow but you have but you have a podcast so I think you're doing great but I, I get <laughs> it's a different format in a sense but you're still doing it like for more than hundreds of people. So I think that's great. So kudos to you. <laughs> Thank you. And with the comedy show, do you um, go and try and book places or do people come to you and ask you to come to do your show at their, um, wherever you are doing your comedy show? Ah, that's the dream when they just come to you. <laughs> it's it's a little bit of both. Um, it's actually the funny thing when I recently got back into stand up. The reason I did it is because a friend was doing it for a fundraiser, so it was essentially like a charity event, and they asked me. But usually, I'm the one who's having to like you know beat on doors and beg. But then you start to know people, you know, and through doing even open mics just recently, I've been asked, hey, can you come and do this show? So it, it kind of like works both ways. Mm -hmm. That makes complete sense. And when it comes to movies and shows, what would you say your favorite project that you've worked on is? Oh, gosh. Okay. Uh, I have a lot for different reasons, but one of them that stands out is a show um, on HBO. It's no longer on air, but it's called High Maintenance. That was super fun. What did you enjoy about that? I haven't seen that. So I went in, uh, I auditioned for it as a hand model because I do have experience as a hand model as well. That's something else that I do, hand model, hand doubling. And they legitimately wanted an actor who had hand model experience because they're very specific. Um, this particular episode was an ASL episode. So we had a, um, a hearing impaired actor in the show and we also had martha stewart uh as in the real martha stewart and it was just such a funny dichotomy of you know the ridiculousness of martha stewart land if you will like how we were making fun of it um the asl actor dicky how he was just like going nuts trying to like live up to Martha's, you know, standards. And Martha was like making fun of my hands. The director, creator, writer, he was there on set. He was wonderful. The director of photography, she came up to me at the end and it was like, that was so funny. Like it was just very collaborative. And at, at the end of the day, like I maybe ended up in like 30 to 45 seconds of footage, 
but the whole day of itself was just so much fun because you're working with so many talented people and Martha Stewart is one of my icons like I love this lady that is so awesome that sounds like an amazing time it was fun Uh, yeah so what would you say would be your least favorite that you've worked on well, uh, we have to sign, oddly enough, we had to sign a contract for this specific show that we would only say positive things about it. Just <laughs> <laughs> like I, when I signed that contract, I was like, whoa, this is specific. But I will say this. I won't say the name or any giveaways. There are some shows that are created and they're just a factory. They're just there to boom, let's shoot it. Let's go. And on to the next. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what you do to like pay your rent, to pay your mortgage, to pay your bills. And yay, it's fun. Yay, you're on set. Yay, you're around stars. Yay, you're getting your makeup done. But it was not a very good experience. The um, director was quite dismissive, didn't even know my name. The makeup artist was very rude to me as well. Like, in fact, I was like nearly traumatized. And it's also like, but wait, you have to memorize lines. It was super hot. I'm like sweating my makeup off. So that particular situation was not so wonderful. That was just a paycheck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would definitely, if that was all you were doing, would probably be very draining really yes, fast. That's the word draining. Yeah, that does not sound like a fun time. Would you say, who is your favorite person that you say that you've met when you're doing certain shows? Is there a particular actor or actress that you really enjoyed meeting? Oh, gosh, you know, I I actually worked with him ages ago. It was a a featured extra role. And I really didn't know who he was that much at the time. My mom did, some of my good friends did. And now after seeing so much of his work, I'm like, gosh, Brooke, I wish I could work with him again. Jason Bateman. From the Switch movie? Yes, he was so fantastic, as was actually Kristen Wiig, too. I worked on something with her called Revenge for Jolly. It was one of her um, friends had written it at the time. And um, that was also a featured extra role, too. But I portrayed, like, her bridesmaid. We got to know each other for three very long days. Those two people are just very wonderful, as was Chris Maloney from Law & Order. Actually, all the Law & Order people are very friendly. That is super awesome. Yeah, The Switch is one of my all-time favorite movies. I literally just watched it the other day, too. Um, That's that's one of my favorites. And too funny, I'm actually watching Law & Order SVU now, and I've never seen it. I've seen, like, bits and pieces of it. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to, like, actually sit down and watch this, which I can't watch more than a couple episodes at a time. Oh, yeah. Because it's so intense. Yes. But it is a really good show. It will take me a very long time to get through it, though, because yes. I can't watch very much. And there's like 25 seasons. Yes. It will take you a long time to get to the season, the seasons I'm in. I think it's like season 12 and season 14, but you'll get to it. But yes, it's very um, dramatic and traumatic, uh, triggering, you know, um, subject matter. Yes, it's they do it really well, though. I think yes. that I like that they have while they do show and detail certain things, I really like that a lot of it is trying to get justice and whatever. And it's not, most of them are not too graphic or detailed where it's too much. But once you watch multiples in a row, I'm like, okay, I need a break now. Exactly. (laughs) 
And switching gears, um, so what would you say, like, was your body image something that you struggled with prior to Hollywood? And like, how did acting and doing that kind of stuff impact your body image? Oh, wow. Great questions, Abigail. So my body image issues started, I think, because I grew up in the 80s. So it was all about being skinny, all about the diet fads. But I grew up in South Louisiana. And it seemed like everyone that we were around, not my mom, my mom is like, definitely not your stereotypical Southern mom. But everyone was like, perfect hair, perfect outfit, super skinny. And I was like the super chubby, curly haired, frizzy haired, girl wearing crazy outfits. And I was also in dance and I was never in beauty pageants, but dance, especially I think all over um, this country, but especially in the South is very much like the beauty pageants. Like you have to be skinny, you have to be perfect. You have to look a certain way. So that made it very hard. Um, And acting comedy was when I realized, hey, I'm not the pretty one. I'm not the skinny one, but I'm the funny one. So this is my outlet. And it's ironic because when I graduated from college, especially there was an agent who kept really wanting to connect with me. And it was because at the time I was 250 pounds, five foot eight. So I was much, much heavier. I mean, I was um, medically obese and she was like obsessed with meeting with me and it almost felt like too much. And it was because at the time, like, like, uh, larger actors were kind of like, oh, this is a thing. It's like a shtick. And Mm -hmm. I didn't want that to be me. So I kind of fought it and maybe I shouldn't have if I wanted to pay my rent at the time. But um, yeah, I think the hardest thing with the acting business is being on my weight loss journey. And when I initially lost 20 pounds, I'm still being called in for the fat girl role. Mm -hmm. Um, F-A-T. I'm still being called in for the chunky role. Then when I lost 50 pounds, still called in for the fat girl. And now that I've lost 100 pounds for some castings, especially for commercials, I'm still called in for the slightly heavy, heavy set, normal looking, not too pretty. Like these are legit, Abigail, I kid you not, these are legitly, legitimately on the breakdowns. And that's when you have to, I'm like, bro, just suck it up, swallow your pride because you believe in yourself. You're fat with a pH, pretty hot and tempting. Just let it go because you might, you know, th- th- this is like par for the course and just keep creating your own material um, where you're not the butt of your jokes or make your own jokes before other people can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would really take a toll on your mental and emotional health. But I think that it also on the other side of that can really make you realize that who you know you are and who your friends and family know that you are is more important than some random person that you interact with for a short amount of time thinks you are because they right. don't really know you. Amen to that. Very well said. I'm actually going to remember that. Abigail. <laughs> it's very enlightening. I'm, I'm so serious. It's very good. Yeah. Why, thank you. <laughs> and um, with your health journey, what were some of the things that you did to lose the weight and how are some of the ways that you've maintained that since you've lost it? Yeah. So around puberty, and then when I got a little bit older, so I was in high school, 
something just didn't feel right. I was dancing, I was very active, eating pretty healthy, and yet I kept gaining a lot of weight, inexplicably, like just no explanation. Um, thyroid did not test super low, so we thought it might be hypothyroidism. Nope, wasn't that. I started sprouting like hairs on my face, and um, so much so that I had sideburns that I had to have lasered off, uh, which worked, thankfully. And so we, it was my mom who helped me figure out, you might have something called polycystic ovarian syndrome. So it's like an endocrine disorder, right? And it affects um, only females or female born people with female organs, right? So a doctor officially diagnosed me with that, put me on prescription meds. But my mom also said, look, Brooke, prescription meds are good, but I did some more research and there's something called the South Beach diet, which is basically the principles of the Mediterranean lifestyle. I don't like to use the word diet anymore, right? So basically, um, you know, lean meat, good healthy fats, you know, from like olive oil, coconut, and low on refined sugars, low on white carbs. And that lifestyle plus walking a lot, you know, in the city, um, and exercise has really helped me, you know, and every time I would hit a plateau, I would rethink it, but really focusing first and foremost on let me get healthy as opposed to I've got to lose weight. And that's when everything started connecting, but also when I was regulating my hormones and now I'm no longer on any prescription medications. That is amazing. That's so awesome. Thank you. And with the balancing your hormones, what are some of the things was it just different things that you were eating and doing that helped with that? Or are there certain like natural, um, like supplements or things like that, that helped you? Great question. So the doctor had prescribed me on metformin, spironolactone, AKA aldactone and a birth control pill. I was on those for like three, four years. And then um, a switch to a different birth control made me faint one day. And that's when I said, enough with these pills. I'm just like at like um, kind of a plateau and a stasis here on all different levels, enough with the prescriptions. And I found an acupuncturist and I sought out acupuncture as well as I really honed in on my diet, the Mediterranean lifestyle even more. And I got on a couple herbs such as Vitex and I eat a lot of cinnamon, specifically Ceylon cinnamon, um, in order to regulate my hormones. And I have my blood work checked every year with my doctor now, like as a follow-up, just to make sure the testosterone levels and all that are at a normal level, A1C, et cetera. But I, I give credit to acupuncture and Vitex and, you know, just overall, a, a lifestyle that is not like what a typical, I guess, American would do. I try to be a little bit more European in the way I eat and the way I move, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And with the acupuncture, is that something that you do like on a weekly basis, monthly basis? What have you found works for that? Do they recommend a certain time frame? Because I've never heard that for hormone balancing before. Oh, that's a great question. So I, I go every week. My goal is to at least go twice a month, I, but my goal is once a week, especially when I'm fixing to start my, you know, so when the cycle is coming on. So mm -hmm. you have a lot of 
forces with you helping you if that makes like any sense like to say it like you know like in a, like a random way so acupuncture it moves your chi and i mean i'm not an acupuncturist so i won't speak as eloquently as my acupuncturists who are, whose names are aaron and Britton, but it moves your chi so it's getting the flow and the blockages because if your hormones are out of balance acupuncture is balancing you mm-hmm. so you know depending on the state of where someone is if they're trying to get pregnant or if they're perimenopause menopausal a young teen someone balancing you know with dealing with pcos whatever the case may be the recommendation might be different but i say for me i feel a difference if i don't go at least twice a month that's really interesting i know that i've done acupuncture in the past for like my back and yes. When I did it for that, there were a couple of times I went when I was on my period and they put it to help with my cramps and it helped so much. I haven't been in a very, very long time, but I didn't think about the fact that that partly could be balancing hormones. And that's really interesting. And with the other kind of cinnamon that you were talking about, I didn't realize there were different kinds of cinnamon. Where do you get the type of cinnamon that you use is it just no normal cinnamon in the store do they well, sell it there's specific d- different cinnamons for different things but the ceylon cinnamon and i don't know a whole lot about it but it's c-e-y-l-o-n and that's for people who have like hypothyroidism or in, like you know insulin resistance and while my a1c's and my thyroid thank god are now normal um it will work in the same way because it's all like endocrine related. So Ceylon cinnamon is a higher quality, better absorbable cinnamon. Because if you're like getting regular store-bought cinnamon, that's wonderful to like flavor oatmeal, et cetera. But if you're doing it medicinally, you want something that's easier absorbed. Or I just tell people if in general, you, you you know, if that's too expensive, maybe just get an organic cinnamon, like, Thing of cinnamon sticks from your local grocery store and put one in your water every day. So you're basically drinking cinnamon water. It's not going to be too overpowering and that can help with insulin resistance as well. That's another hack. I've told my dad to do that because mm-hmm. again, Ceylon cinnamon, if you buy it like on Amazon, Whole Foods, you can get it like Thrive Market, any of those places. It comes in a big old pouch. It's like powdery, messy, and it can be pricey or you can do the capsules. So do you, when you have the powder, do you, like, how do you just put it on your food? So I'll, I do like this crazy overnight oat concoction, but it's with quinoa, a little bit of steel cut oats, hemp seeds, and chia seeds. So you could do it with like a crazy oatmeal concoction like that, chia pudding, yogurt, um, You can even like maybe put a little honey and tea and cinnamon and like mix it in tea. But see, I have to be careful with honey because I can't have too much sugar because that if I have an insulin resistant condition that kind of messes up all my hormonal and, you know, I I get out of whack mentally if I have too much sugar. So honey is great. If someone's able to eat honey, you can mix the cinnamon that way. That is really fascinating. I might have to look into that because I don't have hypothyroidism. I have hypocentral thyroidism. Um, so it's slightly different, but I'm wondering if that would be something, cause I put cinnamon on a lot of things, but I wonder if getting the other type of cinnamon to use in its place would be more beneficial than just using regular cinnamon. 
Perhaps so. And especially because it's easily like it's a better absorption from what I know, mm-hmm. that might be even better. And since we have each other's info, I can even send you that and send you, you know, maybe one that I recommend, you know? Yeah, I would love that. That would be awesome. And I know that we've talked a little bit about different things that you do, but what would you say are some of like your biggest tips for someone that's like, hey, I want to start eating healthier, living healthier, doing all these things, what would be some of the first steps that you would tell someone that wants to start doing that? I would say realize that it's not to sound cliche, but it it definitely is a marathon, not a sprint. This is a way of life. Um, I sometimes will not like go out at night because I or, or do certain things because I want to focus on sleep prioritizing, you know, everybody's saying self-care these days, but I was doing that for ages because I knew if I didn't sleep, if I went out, I would start feeling sick. So first and foremost, prioritize your sleep and water intake. You have to feel good in order to exercise. And if you're getting enough sleep, you're not going to reach for sugary foods. And keeping in mind, I have a whole podcast episode about it. It's not always willpower. Like, oh my God, I'm this bad person. I have no willpower. I ate all this. No, your body, especially if you have, you know, the female organs, you're going through different changes and you might be stressed. You might be, you know, at different phases of your cycle, whatever it is. If you're hungry, you're hungry. That doesn't make you a bad person. And let's not put a judgment on that. And let's not put a judgment on food. Like, oh, this is a good food. This is a bad food, but it's, it's easier said than done. Right. Because society has grilled that into us. So I say, try to look at it, take a step back holistically. But one thing that I did, which was super, actually, it sounds hard, but it was pretty simple. I said, I'm going to eliminate certain things that I know are foods that I can substitute something healthier with. And that will definitely help me get healthier right away. So what I did was, and I'm not Italian. I know for Italian people, this might be a lot harder. I got rid of white pasta. I said, no more white pasta. I ate a lot of pasta and I got rid of it. I only eat like, I started doing whole wheat pasta and now I just do chickpea pasta or like, um, you know, I spiralize zucchini. I also got rid of no fruit juices. I said, I will not drink my sugars. So I'm even still careful with smoothies or um, green juices to be very mindful of food that says it's going to be healthy, but then it might have like 15 grams of added sugar in granola, for example. So just looking at those things and I substitute substituted juices with, I drink a lot of water. I drink a little seltzer and I drink um, a decent amount of herbal tea. So find a substitute for the things that you're like, I can get rid of that easy. Some people might not be able to get rid of that. Like I love potatoes. I love white potatoes. I still haven't gotten rid of those and that's fine. But there are certain things that were easy to get rid of. That is really good advice. And I think one of the things that I've done, um, not that I normally would have a lot of things that would have different things like high fructose corn syrup or dyes in them. Mm -hmm. But when I was at my sickest with some of my chronic illness stuff, it was so much easier just to get store-bought packaged things that I could just easily make like the sloppy Joe mix at the store, for example. And Mm -hmm. when I started feeling better, I went through everything in our cupboards and made sure that I could substitute things without the high fructose corn syrup and find easy ways like with the sloppy joes 
I came up with my own thing and made them. And my husband says that they taste even better than the can, but like enough that he's like, oh, I can totally like tell that this is like a great substitute and whatever. And I think that those small changes can be so easy to make. And they're not always more expensive. Like you may think like, oh, if I get the like organic brand, like organic ketchup or the ketchup that has real sugar in it, it's going to be automatically more expensive. And it often isn't. And so I think that that is one thing that some people, it would just be so easy to do. Just go in your cupboard and find those type of things or like your coffee creamer, um, switch to a brand that doesn't have a bunch of added things. Like I use the Chobani creamer and I love it because it's just cream and sugar and like chocolate or whatever the flavor is. And that's it. Right. No oils. Oh, those added oils and all that are just oh, not, not good either. Yes, exactly. And I think like, obviously some things in moderation. Right. right. Um, and I think not feeling guilty about that, but at the same mm-hmm. time, if I can make my one or two cups of coffee a day healthier for me, I might as well. Exactly. I totally agree with you. And you're right. Everything in moderation, including moderation, but you're so right. If you're going to be doing something every day, look for a healthier alternative. Yes. And I know that we kind of took a step back from like the acting and everything. But one thing that I'd forgotten to ask was what are some of your tips for people that want to get into acting or stand up comedy? Um, What are some of like the first things you would suggest that they do? Oh, wow. So I would depending on um, it's going to vary based on your um, age, obviously, and uh, even experience level. But first off, depending on where you're located, look at your community theaters, look within your community. It's very funny, like I grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, but we would also spend a lot of time like in the Highlands, North Carolina area, very, very small town, beautiful town. And my boyfriend and I were there like a couple years ago, and I saw that they have an improv troupe. And you're like, what? Like, I wouldn't think they would have an improv troupe, but that's a very small town with an improvisational comedy troupe. Reach out to things like that. You know, look at your local, um, you know, community centers, see what they might have acting wise. Um, You know, if you want to work with a coach or somebody like that, I also do acting coaching. If anybody wants to, you know, talk to me privately, but I do say it's best to be in a group class of some sort initially. Um, you know, even I know a lot of people have gotten involved, like with church performances. That's great. Uh, Stand up comedy, open mics, just go to those open mics at the bars, at uh, coffee shops. Hey, you know, if you live somewhere and, you know, you're good friends with somebody who is a barista at a local coffee shop, maybe talk to them and say, hey, can we start doing an open mic here and put your feelers out on Facebook, get a couple guitar players, get some stand up, like try the biggest thing that I'm always about is make it work. Even when you feel like you can't um, doing that, but there's a, a decent amount of acting classes online as well. I studied with them in person, but I'll give them a shout out because they do have online classes M in acting studio. And that's M as in Matt in as in Newton. So they're a great place to start, but there's a lot of acting studios that are uh, virtual now. Uh, One of my friends, Joe, also does it. So I'm always happy if people want to reach out to me and ask me for specifics. 
but yeah, I say there's, there's a lot of different ways. You just have to kind of search. That's awesome. Yeah. I think that there is so many different places that you can get connected. And when you make the right connection, it can open up so many doors. Um, for example, with the Marco Polo um, community, like ambassador program that I was a part of, I then joined a community group for podcasters, which then led me to the podcaster group for finding guests for your podcast and being a guest on a podcast, which is how I got connected with you. So yeah. I think that there's just so many different things that like, if you just join the right thing and it may take a little bit to figure out what that thing is, just one good connection can open up so many more connections that you may not have even thought possible. You're so right. Yeah. And with your podcast, I know that we've mentioned that a couple of times. Um, what made you decide that you wanted to start a podcast? Well, it, it kind of like was, it was an idea during the pandemic. So it was based on my solo show, Fat Girl Costumes, which is about my body image and self-acceptance journey told through tales of Halloween costumes that my mom made me. And, you know, a couple of my friends were like, Brooke, you love telling tales, you know, the pandemic's going on, you can't really do your show right now, now is not the best time to pitch a theater show when no one wants to go to the theater because everybody's terrified of COVID. Why don't you start like doing a podcast? And I said, everybody's doing a podcast. And they're like, yeah, well, just just do it. It doesn't cost anything. You're, I already had the microphone, I already had everything for, for doing voiceover, so I had everything already. So that's kind of how it began. It was based on my solo show. And now I'm now in the third season, actually third season premieres and like uh, on January 15th. That is so awesome. And I think like with that part of why I almost didn't start a podcast was like so many people have a podcast and I also do not have like my name out there in any way um, besides like some social media stuff. I don't have a lot of public things. So like who would listen and all of that. And I think no matter how many people have a podcast or how many people are doing what you want to do, I think that everyone can bring their own unique take to the table. Because um, yes. I could have, you know, five different people that have stand up comedy shows and are, you know, in acting. And everyone would have different stories to share. Everyone would have different advice. And so I think sometimes it's e so easy to discredit what we can bring because we're like someone else is already doing it. Exactly. And it's like, let's not like be negative about something before it begins, you know? Yes. And, and, and that's, it tends to be like very self-deprecating, like what actors can tend to do or anybody starting their own projects. It's like, oh, but it's like, no, let's not do that. Everybody's unique and everybody's got a voice, you know? Absolutely. And I know that you've mentioned kind of a little bit about what your podcast is, but what kind of things do you talk about? Like, what are some examples of some of the episodes that you've done? I mean, I know I've listened to some of it, but for those listening that haven't. Yes. So I talk about polycystic ovarian syndrome. I talk about weight loss. I talk about some costumes that I've worn, both uh, mainly the costumes are kind of like, oh, this is what I wore. And it tells a story of self-acceptance. Like I had to wear 
crazy, sexy nurse costume when I was um, somewhat heavier in the acting world and the way in which, you know, I was treated and that experience and how I felt about it before, during and after all of my tales. I try to have some sort of revelation. And also a lot of my uh, episodes are about food and not just like, oh, you must eat healthy food. But I'm from South Louisiana. So we have some really awesome comfort food. So it's about how food can have a place and it doesn't have to be, oh, this is a bad food, you know, just because king cake is nothing but sugar and white flour. But if it tastes like home and makes you feel good, coming to terms with making a quote unquote bad food that is also a comfort food feel good and rechanging like the the like the thoughts on how we interact with food through my Louisiana childhood and Southern childhood foods. I love it. To anyone listening, I would definitely recommend you go check out her podcast. I've enjoyed all the episodes that I have listened to. And I noticed that some of the more recent episodes have special guests on them. Do you plan to continue that or are you going to do more solo episodes, you think? Well, the, and the special guests were kind of like a recent-ish thing because I was like, oh, I think this is a good way. Number one, I can't, you know, just do it on my own forever. And I think it's great to have different perspectives. I'm like, are people sick and tired of listening to just Brooke talking? Um, so I'm trying to get more and more health and wellness uh, specifically people on there because I always said I didn't want to be a podcast about just talking about random stuff. I want to have a mission that is focused on self-improvement of some sort. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think what I will do since I do an episode every other Monday, one episode will be just me telling some sort of tale. And then the next episode will be interviewing a guest. That's really awesome. Are you finding um, these people through different people you already knew or are you um, finding them through like different groups on Facebook or whatnot? A little bit through groups on Facebook and some people through people I already know. Like I have a couple friends who have very interesting health journeys. So I'm fixing to interview them in the coming weeks. So it's a little bit of both. That's super awesome. I, I really love that. And um, as far as obviously you enjoy what you're doing, but if you weren't having a podcast, doing stand-up comedy and acting, what would you think that you would be doing? Like, do you have any other really big interests that you would maybe pursue? Yes. So hands down, I would work as not necessarily an event planner, but interior design. Um, mm -hmm. That is something like already it's just a passion of mine and my side job, I am a personal organizer and that doesn't quite always involve design, but I wish it did. But I grew up doing a lot of design and event decorating because my mom has a knack for interior design. She's also a florist. So I get that from her. So hands down, that's what I would do. I would love to have a show on HGTV where I'm like, redoing a house you know I've always thought those would be so fun I really love organizing and I feel like if I were going to start something myself I think that that would be super fun to do because I yeah. love organizing my own stuff so you know I think it'd be super fun to organize other people's things do you find that hard when you're organizing other people's things like do they give you full reign of what to do or do you feel like you 
can't do certain things because you want to make sure that they like what you're doing? That's a great question. That's actually, you're so spot on. So I wish they gave me full reign and they don't always. And that's what's hard. And a lot of it is a negotiation or a relationship building for them to trust me that, Hey, you're going to love it. Like, and it's like little by little piece by piece, you're going to love it, but you got to give me the reins a little bit. Or like, even when my mom used to design flowers and people would come in and try to tell her exactly what they wanted, she would say, Hey, get, get, let, let me do it. You're going to love it. And that would be the case. So with organizing, it really is having the people just try to trust me, but it's a very hard, you know, to give somebody else the reins. So I respect people's hesitation and I, it's very rewarding when somebody sees the after or, and, or even more so when, you know, I've won their trust and they're like, Oh, Brooke, I, I, I get it. You know? Um, so that, that means a lot. And when somebody else recommends me, cause it means that they trust me now. That's really awesome. I think would, that would be the hardest thing of doing that is wanting to be able to, you know, just go in and do what you need to do and have like creative, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Freedom. Liberty. Yes. Yes creative freedom and then feeling like you have someone looking over your shoulder and trying to, you know, like what, like the act where people will put out their hands and you can't see your hands and they'll be doing the thing for you kind of like that. And that would, I feel like would be really hard because it would be like, you hired me to do this and I can't do my job if you're trying to take over. Exactly. And is there anything else that you can think of that we haven't touched on that you would like to add? I think we touched on a lot. You asked so many great questions. Uh, I feel like you know me based on the the questions you asked. So I really appreciate you listening to my podcast and like learning about me and that, you know, that feels great. Like this has been a very fun experience. I'm so glad to hear it. Yeah, I definitely try to make sure that I either listen to other people's podcasts or not be a stalker. But like, if I'm, (laughs) if I'm on their social media, like look at some of their most recent posts of different things that they are interested in or whatever, so that I can make sure that I don't come across like someone who knows nothing about them if I'm going to be talking to them. Yeah, no, that's great. I I've had a great time talking with you, Abigail. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. I've had a great time talking with you as well. And as far as social media goes, and I know that you said that you do some one-on-one stuff with people, um, but where can people find you or get in touch with you? Yeah. So on social media, I should have never picked this Instagram handle because it's so difficult. It's Brooke Hoover, which is my name, B-R-O-O-K-E-H-O-O-V-E-R, but you're going to substitute the letter O with the number zero. So those O's and Brooke are zeros. That's very complicated. <laughs> or you can always just email me at contactbrookhoover at gmail.com. And my website is brookhoover.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-E-H-O-O-V-E-R. Awesome. And with the podcast being Beautiful Legacy, I like to ask all my guests, what kind of legacy do you want to leave and why? Wow, that's a good one. Um, I want to leave a legacy where people 
feel better about themselves without having to have done anything miraculous on the grand scheme, anything newsworthy. I want people to just feel better about themselves by just being, because I think there's so much pressure out there to be this or do this or be productive. And it's hard enough to just get by. So I just want people to, to feel better and to laugh. I'm fixing to cry, Abigail, because that's a beautiful question that you asked. But yeah, that's that's what I want to do. I love that. I think as somebody who has a very hard time just being and feeling like I always have to be doing something. And if I even just go the whole day without doing something productive, I'm like, I just need to like do a couple dishes or yeah. wipe down this counter because <laughs> I like it's just so it's so hard. And one thing that I try to remind myself of is that doing more cannot increase my worth. So doing mm-hmm. less can't decrease it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I have to tell myself that a hundred times a day when I'm trying to rest and be like, you know what, your worth isn't going to decrease by you sitting here. So just sit yeah, <laughs> and stop trying to do too much. Um, right. And I definitely, it's not an easy thing to do, but that is something that I'm hoping as this year goes on that I can continue to work on and get better at. And what would you say you are doing currently to make that legacy happen? I am working on, well, the, I have the podcast and I'm just trying to create material. It's, it's really my goal to make people laugh because laughter makes you present in that moment and to also be real about my own journey, my own struggles. So someone else doesn't feel bad about theirs. Like I think the more people can say, Hey, we're human and we're messing up and we're messy about it. And that's okay. Then the better people will feel because, you know, I grew up in a time period Um, where perfection was king. And I think we need to move away from that. So I'm definitely like, you know, you'll see like a lot of my videos, I don't have makeup on. I'm in my closet for God's sakes, you know, and it's, it's fine, you know? Yes, I absolutely love that. I love wearing makeup. I love doing makeup lives and like doing my makeup, you know, doing fancy looks and creative looks. But over the last year, I have started to realize that it's okay not to like I used to feel like I could be okay not wearing it every day or not wearing it going to the store. But if I was going to be going somewhere like a family gathering where I knew people were going to be taking pictures of me, I'm like, I need a full face of makeup on. Mm -hmm. And it well, yes, I do enjoy it still. The freedom that comes from realizing, you know, if someone takes a picture of me looking real and authentic, then that's okay. And that's honestly, in some ways better, because if somebody were to look back on these pictures, they would see the real me. Yeah. Not to say that you're not really you if you wear makeup, but you know what I mean? Right. Not feeling like you have to, like it being yes. like an artistic choice. I'm going to do a fun look today. I'm feeling a certain vibe today, but not being like, I must wear makeup or else type of thing. So I totally feel you. Yes, absolutely. And I really appreciate you giving me some of your time today. I've enjoyed chatting with you. And to all of our listeners, as always, you are loved. 
You are worth it. You are priceless. And I will talk to you all later.